So the Apostle Paul said uh, that we're to be a living sacrifice. And there's a number of interesting things like that said throughout the Bible. But it's important for us to understand what that actually means, what Christ actually expects of his followers. Well, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, in verse 24, Jesus said something that's kind of similar to that. Matthew 16, verse 24 through 25, says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. It's a curious thing to say, isn't it? Listen to the message version of this in, the, in uh, 24 through, through 26. The message version is kind of a paraphrase, so it's a, a little different. But I kind of like what it, what it says and how it's, how it's phrased here. It says, Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. He said, Anyone who intends to come to me has to let me lead. Isn't that interesting? If anyone intends to come to me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering, but embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it if you get everything that you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade for your soul? So Jesus expects that anyone that wants to be his follower, that they must give up their own way, that they must, they must take up their cross and follow him. So this morning, we're going to be talking about this. A few points that we're going to be looking at, we're going to look at four things that we're going to touch on. The first thing is we're going to talk about God's culture. The next thing, we're going to talk about two kinds of Christianity. The third thing, we'll talk about being a living sacrifice. And the fourth thing, counting the cost. So let's talk about culture for just a moment. I'm bringing this up, and I'm not going to talk about culture in a typical way. I've seen a lot of changes in, in Ireland since Amy and I first moved here. When Pastor and Amy had moved to Limerick in the year 2000, that's 23 years ago, it was very different than what it is now. Back then, much of Ireland, really outside of Dublin, uh, wasn't very international, especially around Limerick where, where we were. The church we were on staff with and, and all the other churches that we were aware of were almost entirely all Irish. But that's changed a lot. Ireland's changed a lot as so many other nations have begun to change and have become much more international. My family and I make up part of this international community in Ireland. Hopefully you're glad that we're here. All of us here this morning are of different generations, we're of different upbringing, we're of different cultures, but together, like we all make up Triumph Church. So this morning, I'm not wanting the focus to be on our natural cultures. Those things are great, and these things have significance, of course, but in God's kingdom, they're really not all that relevant. In God's family, it's not about your worldly natural culture, but it's about your spiritual culture. 
Amen? It's not about what separates us and makes us different, but it's what binds us together as Christ's church. The point I'm making is that our cultures, in an eternal sense, don't really matter. We put a lot of emphasis on our cultures. We're all proud of our different cultures. And that's a good thing. We should be. But after this world passes away and we all step into eternity, right, what culture are we going to be part of? We're all going to be part, no matter where our, our natural worldly culture has been, we're all going to be part of God's culture for eternity. God's culture overrides and supersedes our natural cultures because God's kingdom isn't based on this earth, this temporary world. God's culture is based in heaven, isn't it? So let's look at three different cultures. Think of these kind of as a, as a waterfall, one thing leading into another, all right? There's three different kinds of cultures. First, you have God's culture, all right? This is biblical culture, culture which God has established in his word. Then you have church culture. This is how we operate as Christ's body within God's culture, his word. Then you have national cultures. This is how we and our church operate biblically here anyways in Ireland. Amen? Years ago, I was attending a, a ministry school as well as a mission school and received some biblical teaching and, and training on ministering in other cultures. So let's first talk about God's culture. It's important, I'd say even vital and crucial, for us to be respectful and culturally sensitive to the culture wherever we live wherever we work you know wherever we are I've been to a number of different countries around the world uh, ministering preaching the gospel and wherever I went I was always respectful to the culture I want to be respectful to the culture that I am the place that I am wherever it is that I'm ministering I want to be respectful to that culture God created that culture right so I want to be respectful to that but God's culture always supersedes any natural culture. If there's anything within a culture that's not godly, that isn't of God, well, then you have to, as a Christian, discard that. It doesn't matter what it is. The Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians, he was dealing with, with a group in, in Corinth who had uh, this very sexualized culture. They ministered the God of Athena or, or worshipped the God of Athena. Right? It was very sexualized culture. So that was part of the culture there. Well, that doesn't really mix with godly culture. So the Apostle Paul really did a lot of teaching in Corinth to have the, the Christians in Corinth get that outside of their Christian culture because it's not acceptable to God. So sometimes there's things in our cultures that may not be acceptable to God. God's culture always supersedes whatever our natural uh, culture is. Wherever there's a, a, a anything that deviates from God's word, we always have to stick with God's word, don't we? The second thing is church culture. Church culture must be centered around God's culture. Jesus constantly said, I do as I see my heavenly father do, didn't he? Or I only say what it is I hear my heavenly father say. This is likewise how we're to operate in the church. Our services, all of our ministries, everything that we do needs to be centered around God's word, God's culture. You know, every church has its, 
its vision and its strategies, the way, they, the way they operate, the way they fulfill what it is that God has called that church to do. But those things always must be in line with God's word and rooted in God's word, just as our lives are supposed to be, right? Then they have the third culture, which is national culture. We have the national culture where you live, maybe minister in, but every nation has a different culture, don't they? And when you go and minister in that culture, no matter what it is, you must minister consistently within God's culture. Does that make sense? Because this church is here in Ireland, we try to be culturally sensitive to the Irish culture. I actually love the Irish culture. As an American, most Americans, you know, if you go to visit a church uh, in America, uh, I've done this at different churches we've ministered in, you know, I ask everyone, you know, how many of you have Irish heritage? And, I, and usually, probably like three-fourths of a church would raise their hand, you know? There's so many Irish and great Irish heritage in America. You know, the, the largest St. Patrick's Day parade is in Savannah, Georgia. Did you know that? It's massive, you know, in Chicago, they used to, I don't know if they still do, but they used to dye like the river that goes through the center of Chicago green at St. Patrick's Day. Massive St. Patrick's Day celebrations. The, the Americans, of course, you know, love the Irish because, you know, so many of us have Irish heritage. In Revelation chapter 7 and verses 9 and 10, it gives us a, a great picture of what heaven is going to be like. And this is a great picture of what Christ's church looks like. In verse 9, it says, After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, that's in a large amount of people, of all nations, of all tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. In verse 10, it says, And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So in heaven... There's going to be people from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every people, as far as you can see in every direction, worshiping the Lord. It's very diverse. It's going to be an amazing place, but that's a picture of Christ's church. You know, sometimes we think of, of just our local uh, community or make you, maybe just our church, but Christ's church is throughout the whole world of every people, of, of every nation, of every tongue, of every tribe. That comprises of, of Christ's church, and there's a lot of diversity in that. God loves diversity. He's the one that created all of our different nationalities, right? All of our different cultures. So I actually want to, this morning, zero in on God's culture, because that's the culture all of us are tied to. No matter where we are in this natural world, no matter where we can't come from, that is our culture, God's culture. That what, that's what binds all of us together. When we talk about culture and Christianity, there's two kinds of Christian culture. The first one is there's biblical culture or biblical Christianity. This filters the culture around it through the Word of God. So the perspective is everything around me in my world, I filter it through this, the Bible. And what comes out on the other side is going to be biblical. I'm going to live my life in line with this no matter what the culture around me is doing, no matter what the culture around me says is acceptable. If it's not acceptable to this, then I don't live it. 
Amen? Then you have the second one, which is cultural Christianity. This filters the Bible through the culture around it. So everything going on in the world around them, they filter the Bible through that culture. So is it acceptable to the culture? So they'll feed the Bible in there, and what comes out is what is acceptable to the culture, whatever is going on around. What we see from a lot of Christians in churches today is actually cultural Christianity. I'm sad to say. They filter the Bible through the culture around it. This is popular in today's world because it really doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to take a stand on an issue if you filter the Bible through what's culturally and socially acceptable. This kind of Christianity isn't rooted in God's Word. I don't think it's really rooted in the Word at all. It's based upon whatever the sinful world deems as acceptable and as what's right. In cultural Christianity, popular opinion takes preeminence over God's Word. This kind of Christianity is self-seeking. Everything centers around it, around self, instead of centering around God. This is completely contrary to the Bible, though. Turn to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, My old self, in the New Living Translation, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This sounds a lot like what Jesus had said earlier, doesn't it? In Matthew 6, 24, where he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Too many who profess to be Christians never count the cost of following Jesus. I blame this really on those who stand behind the pulpit, people who stand right here in front of congregations. So many leaders talk about a lot of topics, but almost never discuss what actually following Christ means or what it costs. They may mention what it costs Jesus, but what about the cost to you? Salvation is free, of course, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news, isn't it? In Romans chapter 5 and verse 18, it says that that gift is free. It says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So yes, salvation is free, but Jesus said to obtain this free gift, you must be willing to give up your own way. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians that if you're a follower of Jesus, then it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. Paul later said that you must be a living sacrifice. We're going to talk about what that means. Not many preachers are teaching what accepting Christ truly means. Because if we're honest, most people want it easy, don't they? But following Christ isn't about easy, but about salvation and about letting your life be a light in a dark world. True Christian leaders are discipling. They're equipping. They're sharing the word of God, which is confrontational. God's word confronts our shortcomings and our sins so that we may continue to become more and more like Jesus. It will nudge us to mature spiritually 
and nudge us closer and closer to the Lord. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said this, You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Our aim as a Christian, our objective, is to become more and more like Christ. Do you know what being a Christian means? The word Christian. Christian just means Christ-like. Do you know that? So our goal as a Christian is to become more and more like Christ, to honor His sacrifice. We can't do this while we're conforming to the world and the culture, the sinful culture around us. Look at what Paul says in Romans 12:2 in the New Living Translation. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We're expected to let God transform us, right? How is he going to do that? He's going to do that through his word. It's expected that we'll not mimic the behaviors and the customs of this sinful world, but to learn God's will for us. So what is God's will for each of us? We've talked about this. It's his word. God's word is his will. And the requirement of receiving Christ's salvation is relinquishing our control over our lives. That's not always easy to do, is it? When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, what does that actually mean? You remember Galatians 2.20 where it says, It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And then in Matthew 16.24, remember, it says, If anyone wants to be a follower of mine, you must give up your own way. When we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, that's with a capital L. He's Lord. He's the one that we submit our lives to. Whatever it is that you want me to do, whatever it is that you want me to say, whatever it is, however you want me to act, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live my life submitted to you. That's what making Jesus the Lord of your life means. In order to become a new creation through Christ, that old creation must cease to exist. You're no longer Lord of your life, but Jesus is. If you want to live a life free of the world's pull, free of the weights of this world, free of the sin in this world and the destruction, you must relinquish the grip on your life and place that control in Christ. Give him that. This is a great challenge for many of us. That's the difficult part, isn't it? Letting go, humbling ourselves before the Lord and giving him our lives. This is what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to freely lay down your life at the foot of the cross, and in return, you pick up his life. You're trading your unrighteousness for Christ's righteousness. That's good news, isn't it? Like we should all like be like, yes, I'm going to run to the foot of the cross, give him my life, because I know what I'm setting down, what I'm picking up is so much better than what I'm placing at the foot of the cross. Amen? I think that's a pretty fair trade. But there's a sacrifice on both sides. Though I really think it's one-sided. 
Jesus really made all the sacrifice. It's not a big sacrifice for us to make. The sacrifice required on Jesus' part was him stepping down from heaven, humbling himself, becoming a mankind, and dying the most horrific kind of death you can possibly imagine for our sin so that we could have uh, restoration and salvation. That's what he sacrificed. Our sacrifice isn't much at all. Most modern preachers don't or won't talk about the cost of following Christ, though, because it makes some people uncomfortable. And in the world today, people don't want to be uncomfortable. If you make someone feel uncomfortable, they'll just cancel you, right? So a lot of modern preachers don't want to talk about things that are going to make people uncomfortable. But if we want to grow, if we want to mature in Christ, if we want more of Him in our lives, then sometimes we have to ha have those difficult and hard conversations, don't we? We've talked in great lengths exactly what it has cost Jesus, the horrible death and punishment that he endured for our salvation and redemption wasn't comfortable for him, was it? But what is required of us? It's that we be willing to lay down for Christ. That's what's required of us. Are you willing to do this? Our pride is probably the greatest challenge to overcome in our lives. Some of us may have one foot in this world and one foot in God's kingdom, but that's an unsustainable way to live, and you really make no one happy. The world will just call you a hypocrite because you say you're a Christian, but you live a sinful life. You live just like they do. In the church world, they'll call you a hypocrite because you say you're a Christian, but you're not living like Christ. Christian means Christ-like, doesn't it? So pride's our greatest challenge to overcome that. We talked about this in the Living Ablaze in Humility a couple of weeks ago. I recommend that you listen to that again. Living with one foot on either side, one foot in the world and one foot in the church, that's called carnal Christianity. It's attempting to please God and the world. And unfortunately, you really wind up pleasing no one. The carnal Christian filters the Bible through the culture around it. That's not what God expects of us. What do you think is going to be the outcome in our lives as a Christian? You know, we talked about in the book of Revelations, we looked at that before where Jesus had said, I would rather you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, what does he say? I will spew you from my mouth. In some translation, it says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. No one likes lukewarm tea, do they? If you come over to my home and you ask for a cup of tea, you're going to expect that it's hot, right? You're not going to want just room temperature tea. Yuck. You'd, if, you're temp, if you're tea, if you get busy and your tea becomes room temperature, what do you usually do? Stick it in the microwave and warm it back up, right? You don't want lukewarm tea. Well, God doesn't want us to be lukewarm either. Listen to what Romans chapter, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says. In the New Living Translation again, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. He's done a lot for us, hasn't He? 
Then he says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So the Apostle Paul says that because of all that Christ has done for us, that we should offer him our lives, our bodies, right? That, they, that we should be a living sacrifice. He's not saying that, well, I recommend that you do this. He's telling us this is what we should do. This is what is expected of us. If we're going to be Christ-like, call ourselves a Christian, then we're expected to be a living sacrifice. Right? Is that what the Apostle Paul is saying? So what does this mean? What does it mean? It doesn't mean that we're, we're literally supposed to sacrifice our bodies, right? That's weird, all right? That's not what we're talking about here. What this does mean is forfeiting control over our lives. You know, sometimes you get into a vehicle. You know, I do a lot of the driving in my family. And, you know, there's different times I allow Amy to drive, you know. And she's a great driver. But I'm not used to her driving all the time. Let me emphasize again, she's a great driver, all right? So if this gets back to her, if she listens to this later, she knows I said she's a great driver, all right? But I'm not used to her driving. You know, I'm used to being behind the steering wheel. I'm used to, you know, being in control of the vehicle. And, it's, and I actually find it, you know, she's like, oh, would you like to just relax and sit in the passenger's, you know, seat and, you know, I'll just drive or whatever. I don't really find it that relaxing. You know, I'm not used to being in the passenger seat. I'm not used to being that close to the hedgerow, right? It's not comfortable, but I give up. I have to relinquish control to her. I mean, what would it be like if I'm reaching over there all the time and trying to grab the steering wheel or trying to, you know, get my leg over there to, to pump the brakes or something like that? That'd be really awkward, right? We'd probably wind up having a car accident, but it's difficult to relinquish control, isn't it? Like, all of us have that struggle. I'm not the only one, is it? But being a Christian, being Christ-like, living for the Lord, being a living sacrifice means that you're relinquishing control of your life over to God. You're letting Him be in the driver's seat. You're letting Him steer and direct and go where He wants to go with your life. But that's uncomfortable when you're not used to that. When you're used to being in control of your life, and all of a sudden you're letting Jesus, you know, there's the, there's the, I don't know, this country song, Jesus take the wheel. You ever heard that? Anyways. When you let Jesus take control of your life, when you let God take control of your life, and you're just sitting there in the passenger seat, like that's not comfortable sometimes. But that's what's required. Like it's not an option I mean, is it an option from the scriptures that we've looked at so far? Is that, is that an option that God is placing for us? He's like, here, you can either drive, you know, and I'll just, I'll just try to give you a, you know, a few directions, you know, here and there. You know, it's not like those, I don't know if you've ever seen those cars where you're learning to drive where there's a steering wheel on both sides of the vehicle, you know, and there's actually the pedals on both sides. So the instructor, uh, in case something crazy happens with the person who's a learner driver, you know, that they're able to take control of the car. But it's not like that in our lives. It's either you're in control or God's in control. 
And if you want to be in control, that's going to lead you down a path. And it may be a good path. It may not necessarily be bad. But God's path, His directions, are always going to be so much better. There's going to be so many more blessings. And actually, when you, when you learn to just let God take control, it actually does become relaxing. You could be in the middle of the most wild traffic in the world. You know, there's, there's some countries where the rules of the road don't really matter. It's really just the biggest vehicle wins, right? You could be in that kind of uh, traffic. But if God's in the, if he has control of the vehicle, you can just relax. Because you know there's not going to be any accidents. You're going to get to where you need to go, the right time, the right place. You can trust him, right? But sometimes that just takes practice. Over time, when God just keeps driving, you keep relinquishing control to Him, it starts to become more and more comfortable because you get used to it. Your faith is developed. You start to have faith in God being in control of your life. It's a step. It's a, it's a process. Eventually, you might even be able to, you know, like, I don't sleep well in vehicles, whether it's a plane, whether it's a, a car, whether it's anything. You know, if I'm really tired, I may be able to sleep. But it's nice, actually, when someone else is driving or whatever it is, and you can just close your eyes and take a little nap. Is that nice? Yeah? But you get to the place with God where you're just so comfortable with Him being in control of your life because your faith and your trust and your confidence has been built up so much because He's faithful, isn't He? That you're so comfortable that you feel like, I could just take a nap and just relax. That's a nice place to be, isn't it? So we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. Well, what does that mean? It's forfeiting control over our life. It means that we're sacrificing our will, we're sacrificing our desires, we're sacrificing our wants, we're sacrificing our interests to Him. Listen to this next part. By laying down our life to God, in the process, we find God fulfilling our lives and giving us so much more than we could ever have had without Him. God is only ever going to lead you to the best, to increase, to blessings. Amen? You guys are quiet this morning. Is this, a, is this a too tough of a message? I should have come with something nicer, shouldn't I? This is what we need to hear, though. You know, as I, as I look around, you know, as a pastor, and I do, I do a bit of traveling and visiting other, other churches and talk with other, other pastors and things, the state of the church right now isn't fantastic. It's really not. There's a lot of people that are so influenced by the culture of this world that, the, that God's culture is secondary in their lives. They're filtering everything in their lives through the culture around it. Is it acceptable with the in crowd? Am I going to be canceled if I act a certain way or say a certain thing? So this kind of, this kind of conversation, though it may not be the easiest to have, it's actually beneficial for us, right? You know, as a father, sometimes I have to have tough conversations with my children. Not that much anymore because they're, they're older and they're fantastic kids, you know. But when they were younger, there was times where I had to have some tough conversations with them. Listen, you're not acting right. Like, that's not an appropriate way to act. 
You need to change. That's not acceptable. Well, sometimes God has those conversations with us. And when we relinquish control to Him in our lives, you know, just like my kids have to trust that I have their best interest at heart, even when I have to give out to them and scold them sometimes, we have to trust that God has our best interest at heart as well, even when there's times in our lives where He has to scold us or tell us, listen, you need to shape up a little bit. You need to tighten up this area in your life. But that's a good thing, isn't it? We're becoming more and more like Christ. God's never wanting to take from you. That's kind of how the world feels about God. That Well, if I give my life to God, if I relinquish control to God, well, my life is essentially dead. There's no more fun. Like everything in my life is just going to be boring. But God only wants to bless you. And I can tell you, I've lived on both sides of that. And I can tell you that the, the side that the world would push you to live and be is not fun. You look at people in this world who the world just pushes them to destruction, and you look at their lives, does that look like fun? No, when I was in secondary school, I was one of only two, myself and one other friend, graduated secondary school from my friend group. My other friends wound up getting uh, dropping out because they were experimenting with drugs and alcohol and were just going down a certain road. And I saw that road. I'm like, I don't want to go down that road. Like, that's not a nice road. That road is obvious. It's not leading to good places. Listen, the, the, the way this world pushes you, it's to destruction. God always pushes you to life. What does John 10.10 10 say? The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to cause destruction, right? But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. God only wants to bless you. The devil does not. And the culture of this world is not godly culture. It's the devil's culture. When we understand that, that there really essentially is just two cultures. There's God's culture and there's the devil's culture. Which do we want to be in? One is going to lead us to destruction. The other is going to lead us to life. But when you understand that God's not wanting to take anything from you, He's just going to want, He just wants to bless you. Matthew chapter 6, 33 starts to make a lot more sense. You know this scripture, we've looked at it a number of times. It says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. When you're relinquishing control to God and you're seeking first His kingdom, His culture, what is He going to do for you? He's going to bless you, right? He's going to provide everything that you have need of, isn't He? That's what His Word says. Many Christians are wondering why they may not be seeing God's blessings in their lives. Maybe it's because first they're not seeking first the kingdom of God in their life. Maybe they're trying to hold on to control instead of giving that control to God. Maybe they're still insisting on having their own way instead of letting God take control and have God's way. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13 and 14. Jesus said in verse, 
uh, 13, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. As in the New Living Translation, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is narrow and the road is difficult and only a few find it. To enter that narrow gate, you must lay down your life for Christ. This isn't easy. And a lot of people have a difficult time, too, in doing this. And a lot of people aren't going to do that because their pride won't allow them to. Their pride is what keeps them Lord of their lives instead of allowing God to be Lord of their lives. In order to follow Christ through that narrow gate, we must do what? Remember Matthew 16, 24 again. It says, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross in order to follow Jesus. It's easy to live shallow the way this world would want us to. There's no resistance from that. Its path is easy and wide. Wide is the road to destruction, Jesus said, right? The world doesn't give any resistance to a life of sin. You can live any way you want. However you want to live, that's okay with, with me. You just be you, and I'll be me. But listen, that's not God's kingdom. You just be you may mean you're, you're not just walking, you're running down that path of destruction. Listen, if I really love you, if I really care about you, I'm not okay with just you being you. Because that could be leading you to destruction. Real love does not let, you know, there used to be expression, real friends don't let friends drink and drive. You know, I was, uh, they had those in ads in America in different things. Real friends don't let friends drink and drive. Listen, real friends do not allow a friend to live a life of destruction. They're not going to choose the easy path and just say, well, you be you and I'll be me. When you're watching your friend, like, destroy themselves. You know, if I would have known what I know now, I would have confronted my friends in secondary school and said, listen, the path that you're on, like, it's obvious it's not great. Like, you're getting caught for shoplifting. You're addicted to drugs. You're an alcoholic at 17 years old. That's not okay. Real love confronts tough issues. And that's why we're having this conversation in the morning. Not because any of you are on your way to destruction, you know, but sometimes it's good just to hear messages like this so we know, so that we can be equipped, right? So that we can be equipped to help other people. Because there's people in this world that are absolutely messed up. And they're on the road to destruction. And they need people like you, people who have the light of Christ on the inside of them, for help. Listen, if they knew what was on the inside of you would help them, they would beg you for help. But they may not know. But they need you. What marks our life? The Apostle Paul, or in, in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, says that the followers of Jesus in a place called Antioch, that they were first called Christians there. Well, why did they start calling the followers of Jesus in Antioch Christians, Christ-like? What did they see on the followers in Antioch? What did they see in their lives that caused them to call them Christ-like? 
like. They must have been saying things like Christ. They must have been doing things like Christ. They must have been living in a way that people would say, that's how I believe that Jesus would live, right? Well, what marks our lives? What do people say about us? Would anyone without us saying so identify us as a Christian? Identify us as a follower of Jesus just simply by the way we live our lives. I would say that if we're living ablaze as a living sacrifice, that they would say that we're a follower of Christ. So in closing here, I want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. It's important for us to count the cost, what it actually means to follow Christ. The Bible says that we're to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. That we're to relinquish control of our lives. That's the cost of being a follower of Christ, is that you actually, you don't just say that Jesus is Lord of your life, but you actually make Him Lord of your life. And that means that you're relinquishing control of your life to Him. And living a, being a living sacrifice also means that you're living a life that is holy and acceptable to Him. We're all going to mess up, right? We all mess up from time to time. And we've looked at 1 John 1, 9, where it says that we can go to God and ask Him for forgiveness of our sins, and He'll forgive us, right? That's written to Christians. Sometimes we do make mistakes. But our goal, our objective, is to imitate Christ, to become more and more like Him. And Peter said this in verse 13 through 16. He said, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. I like this next part. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Listen, I know this message might be a, a little heavy, and honestly, I, I really think the, the whole Living Ablaze series might be a little heavy-handed, but this is what all of us need. It's what I need in my life, because I really believe that we're heading into a direction in this world where we need to have this kind of stability in our lives in order for us to be ablaze. Otherwise, we're going to be moved by the culture of this world. And I don't think anyone in this room wants to be in that category. We all want to be that light, to live ablaze for Christ, don't we? So I believe that all of us need to hear this message. The Bible couldn't be clear what's at stake here, what's required of us. Christ gave up his life for you. Are you willing to give up your life for him? Remember what I had said, that by laying down our lives... In the process, we find God fulfilling our lives and giving to us so much more than we could ever have had without Him. That's a blessing. When you give God your life, you can count on His blessings. So we're going to close this morning by praying. And just take a time, just take a moment, 
to lay down our lives at the foot of the cross and just consecrate our lives to him, just relinquish control to him. But if there's anyone here this morning, if, if you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, it's not a difficult thing. It's actually very simple. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10 says that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In verse 10 it says, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As we pray this morning, just declare to Jesus that you're making him the Lord of your life, that you're relinquishing all control to him, that you're done seeking your own way, but you're now going to follow God's way and lay down your life to him. Amen. Let's all stand. We're just going to pray.